You're listening to Galaxy of Film. Welcome back to the brand ups of Galaxy of Film. I am, of course, your host, Max, and this week, returning up to the plate is none other than our boy Pablo, aka Danilo Wyatt himself. How are you doing, man? Dude, I've been doing great, man. Hanging in there, getting some Starbucks in the system, mm-hmm. working, teaching, all that fun stuff, man. All that fun- oh, Halloween just passed, too. Halloween weekend. Yeah. Or Halloween weekend, whatever they want to call it, man. Just yeah. passed as well. We got our official the the rite of passage for michiganders of snow falling on halloween if there's nothing more that says michigan like that then you know i don't know what to tell you (laughs) oh goodness well it's good to get you back on here man it's been a few weeks obviously you know since you stepped out as co-host during the simpsons episode um yeah it just i don't know man it just feels normal again this is weird (laughs) <laughs> no, it does, man. Classic, classic. Up, we put together, we put together this uh, this week. On what time we record? Yeah, only the, I, best, here. Only the best here, man. Only, only the, the best, best here. It is yet again, just like last week, a day of recording for us here at Galaxy of Films. So happy Thursday to everyone. Sorry to our early morning listeners, just like Harold. Um, but here we are, better late than never, you know. <laughs> of course, man. Of course, I get to teach film to kids now, man. Really. Yeah, I took up a position at uh, the middle school, and I'm teaching film to kids now. Wow, that's that's incredible. Yeah, 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 like holding iPads, all that fun stuff, pilts, pans, 180s, all that fun stuff. Yeah, man, that's pretty cool. That's sick, man, that's sick. What else, because it's been a couple weeks since you've been on here, man. What else has been going on in your life? Obviously, Halloween just happened, what'd you dress up as, that kind of jazz. Yeah, Halloween happened. I'm not a Halloween guy, dude. I'm just not. I'm like Jim Halpert on Halloween. I, it's just not my holiday. I love the fall, just not a Halloween guy. Okay. But yeah, Halloween rolled, rolled around. Went to parties. Went out. Uh, went went to a party one night. Went to the bars three nights. Um, those are always fun. Uh, for the party, I dressed up as Facebook. You know, book wrote just written on my face like Jim Halpert did. And then for the for the bars, I just dressed up as Drake. Put some barrettes in my hair. And just wore like plain clothes in a chain, you know, for all the dogs. Mm. Um, but yeah, so Halloween passed. Um, I've been working at Starbucks still. Starbucks grind is going crazy. Just launched the, the what do you call it? Winter winter flavors, man. Winter flavors. So everyone everyone wants to go in there and get the new drinks and stuff. And it's sure. know, it's all right. You, you get paid nice. Like I get paid a good check and get, like, <laughs> good tips for sure. So that's cool. Um, but that's going all well. And then yeah, teaching's doing good, man. Like I'm in a high school, I'm in a middle school. I, I like I just said, I taught. I'm teaching middle schoolers now it's about some film and everything, which is mm-hmm. really fun. But yeah, teaching's going well and everything. Uh, and, you know, it's weird to think about, but I'm gonna be with these kids now for the next two years. So we're all like colleagues now, sure. like, which is really odd. You know, like that. Like I would never assume a classmate would ever turn into a colleague. I don't know if that was just naive thinking or what, but you know. <laughs> but what's really coming up, man? What's really coming up that's going to have this podcast be bumping is December 12th, man, when Travis Scott comes to Little Caesars Arena. I know you wanted to go see him, man. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I'm I'm ready. I'm so pumped. I was about to say, man, I didn't get a chance to talk about this in the podcast at all, man. I've been saving this for when you came back, actually. I did go see Travis on this tour. Uh, it was the second night of the Circus Maximus tour here in Raleigh. Um, and I got 
pit tickets, man, for dirt cheap. And holy shit. I know that uh, my appreciation for Travis's music has definitely evolved and grown as further along the podcast goes on and on. Um, I remember at one point, dude, like an early episode, we got into like an argument with, with, with Silver, I think, about Travis Scott or something during an episode, if you remember that. Um, yeah, I think so. I don't know what we were talking about, though. His I, shoes? I think we're just talking thing. about music in general, man, to be honest. yeah. Because I think this is after we left the Donda event for the first time, and I think we're just music oh, in yeah. general. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, man, so I went to go see Travis, um, and, and truly, man, in the pin pit, there's never been another concert I've been to that's, that is like this show. Um, I can't believe you don't have pit tickets for this, man. Truly. Every little last second of this was an insane mosh pit. Uh, security was throwing people, and I mean like, you know me, dude. I'm, I am a, a six-foot-tall guy. I weigh like 200 pounds. Like, I'm a big guy. I had security full force, like, football tackle me into a mosh pit full of all, like, there was a grandmother that got thrown into one of these things, too, man. There's, um, like, a wall of subwoofers separating the seating and the actual pit. People are jumping on top of the subwoofers and, like, trying to stage dive into the mosh pits. It's insane, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, truly I, thought, I, I saw that one girl was almost going to get kicked out until Travis was like, nah, let her, let her rage, man. Yeah, yeah he's done that for almost, uh, like, yeah. every show. He's been yeah, saving yeah. people about to get kicked out. It's insane, bro. Um, and then a buddy of mine named Mark, who I met up with for Baby Keem last year during the Melodic Blue Tour, met up with him at the Pusha T show for the Almost Dry Tour, randomly bumped into him in the mosh pits. That was kind of a cool thing. Got to hang out with him for a bit. Um, it's just a damn good show. Got to hear Nightcrawler. He played Fiend twice because he loved the reaction from everybody. He got in the crowd for Goosebumps. Just insane, bro. Absolutely wonderful show. Um, and for Halloween, man, me and my girlfriend, we actually dressed up, went to the bars as well. We were Shaggy and Velma this year. Um, I wouldn't say I'm not a Halloween person. You know, like, it's obviously something like, it's like a kid I enjoyed. But mainly yeah, as like, yeah. a teenager, was just getting together, watch a horror movie, call it a night kind of deal. I wasn't really dressing up like that. Um, but as an adult, man, like two years ago, my friend, uh, my friend and I, we did Dick in a Box, actually, at the bars, which was hilarious from SNL. Um, and then last year I was a minion over at Mason's house for his party. Um, I remember Mason dressed up as like Mario and our buddy Lucas, who's also in the New York videos. He was Mike Wazowski from Monsters, Inc. Um, and this year we did Shaggy and Velma. So it's kind of cool now that we're in the age of being able to actually party and go out drinking that now I take Halloween serious finally. But it was a good time, man. Hit up this haunted house thing called like the, the spooky woods, which sounds corny and dumb as hell, right? But I'm thoroughly fucking impressed, bro. I mean, it was like an hour-long experience that had a horror icons exhibit, um, which is going through like different movie scenes with horror stuff, which is incredible. Got to see Art the Clown yeah. from Terrifier. Um, oh, cool, dude! That actually sounds pretty lit. It was it was dope, man. It was really cool. Yeah. Like the Friday the Thirteenth portion, they had a cabin that was built in the middle of a lake that you had a bridge that you went in through. Oh, yeah, that's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, they put some actual effort into this one, man. And we went with Caleb and Drake, who are PAs here at Galaxy Film as well. Um, yeah, but my girlfriend was pissed herself the whole time, bro. <laughs> it was, it was yeah, awesome. That's good. that's good, man. <laughs> but enough rambling about us, man. We got another guest star with us this week. It's been a few weeks since he's been on. He came on for John Boega a couple weeks ago for Attack the Block and They Clone Tyrone. But we got Sarandis. How are you doing, man? Uh, I... I'm I'm doing good. I'm uh, happy you survived the the concert. 
Thank I you. heard there's <laughs> there's some fatalities that usually happen. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, Danilo, guys, watch our what episode was that? Do you know, like episode five of the New York videos when you just want your rant about Travis Scott and Astroworld? Yeah, yeah, because the Supreme Court cleared him or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> crazy, yeah. crazy. Uh, when you're rich, you can get away with almost everything. Yeah. <laughs> but how was your Halloween, man? Did you do anything special up there in Canada for it? No, man, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I sit at home, watch the game, a horrible game, but I watched it and that's all I did. And I, okay. I just worked on stuff, man. <laughs> I, I don't really see a Halloween culture here anymore. Oh. I remember the street I used to live on, there was a huge... Like there was a big Halloween culture. Like the there was a bunch of families that decorated their house. Like it was extreme. It was mm. crazy the things how they when they decorated the house. And then when they moved and it kind of just fell off. Um, I don't I don't know. The Halloween culture culture is just not a thing where I am at anymore. Or maybe That's just not the neighborhood I'm in. That's unfortunate, man. You gotta bring it back, bro. You gotta bring it back. Yeah. You should have been dressing right. up like Drake, like Danilo was, bro. You've got the Toronto hoodie on right now as well. Come on. Well, <laughs> I gotta say, well, the funniest costume I've seen was uh, 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 Joe Rogan dressing up as that Hatch's doppelganger. Oh. <laughs> I don't know that. See that meme? <laughs> yeah, I know you're talking about. <laughs> but I do want to see pictures of somebody dressing up as the Kevin James meme. Oh, that, oh, oh yeah, James yeah. Good right now, man. I love that. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's meme of the year for sure. Oh, well, it's good to get you back on here, man. This week, of course, we are talking Danilo's favorite director, Martin Scorsese. Um, Danilo, you've been hyped for Killers of the Flower Moon. Whenever we met Brendan Fraser last summer, this was the only thing you asked him about, actually. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, I asked him. He didn't give me much. He didn't really say anything. He just said it was fun to work on. I said, all right, Brendan, thanks, man. <laughs> I think he signed a few NDAs before he went to that con, but you know what can you do? Yeah, yeah. At least you got more out of him than that line for K Smith. You know, <laughs> I totally forgot he was in the movie. Wow, <laughs> right? <laughs> Goodness, but yeah, here I'm we are. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I'm like that's Brendan Fraser. <laughs> and then I just completely forgot about him. <laughs> yeah, bro, I was forgetting about that too up until. Um, I don't, it just randomly hit me as like we got like halfway through the movie. I'm like, damn, what was this thing Danilo was asking about? Where is this guy gonna be? Is he just a random like colonizer in this this story? <laughs> <laughs> like, where is Brendan's role in this film? And so I was just I felt like I was like scouring the screen for him at all the time. Like, where's Waldo? Thinking it was gonna be hidden or something. Yeah, but, it's no. like Rami Malek in Oppenheimer. You do, you barely noticed that he was in it. <laughs> right, I was literally about to compare him to Josh Peck from Oppenheimer. So that's funny. <laughs> or that too, yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. But here we are, finally talking Killers of the Flower Moon and also After Hours. Um, particularly why we picked After Hours this week is because this movie got a 4K release through the Criterion Collection earlier this year. Um, Danilo, did you pick up the Criterion release? No, dude, I haven't seen this movie. So I, oh, I, had sick. Idea. I, would, I would want to go see it, man. I would want to go get the Criterion of it. I didn't know it got a 4K. Yeah, where, dude, where the hell have I been? I drop out of the co-host spot. No one, no one updates me on the Criterion drops anymore, man. Oh, only the best year of Galaxy of film. Goodness, oh, where's the Kari, bro? <laughs> he was probably in his shopping cart, man. 
<laughs> well, let's go ahead and go over some announcements real quick before we talk about news and shows. Um, first up, next week, guys, is Awards Bay Episode 4. Check that out. Jake is having a blast of this series. Um, last week, for the guest co-host for Episode 3, he had Uncle Brian from Drink the Movies come up for that. Um, that's really awesome because, you know, also Brian does his awards coverage on his show. So it's kind of like the best, best of uh, both worlds here going on. Um, and speaking of Dakari as well, Dakari dropped an LFG discussing Five Nights at Freddy's for Halloween this year. Um, I, I, I'm hoping he had a good time with that one because I was not watching Five Nights at Freddy's. That's for sure. So. <laughs> the, those, those people were going crazy, man. The amount of people I saw on Friday night after mm. that movie, because that movie came out Thursday, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then it hit Peacock or whatever. You might people who dressed up as like a character from Five Nights at Freddy's at this party that I was at, and I was I was you know drunk, so I was like just wanted to ask him about the lore. Oh boy, they know it. They know it, man. They know <laughs> it. I got into like a forty-five minute conversation with like five people about Five Nights at Freddy's lore, and I was like, maybe it might be time to go take a shot. Yeah, yeah, for real, yeah, dude. dude. Jesus, <laughs> that's awful. Oh, man, I, Five Nights at Freddy's just isn't it for me, bro. I tried, like, my freshman year of high school, couldn't get into the game. The lore is too much, and the, the fan base is just insane. It's okay. it's wild. Um, but anyways, Dakari did an LFG on that. He had Gamer Harold joining with that episode, too, so check that out, guys. They both had a wonderful time, I imagine. Uh, but the big news we have, two pieces of news for everyone. Um, obviously I've been hyping this up for the past couple episodes, but my next short film is dropping next week, guys, on November 6th. Um, tomorrow, if you're listening to this the same day, November 3rd, on this Friday, it is, uh, excuse me, I can't even talk, it is released in the Facebook group, the Galaxy Film Fan Club. Uh, this film is titled No Vex, and this is written and produced by our buddy Tyler Jansen, who is a musician here at Galaxy of Film, um, and it's directed and filmed by myself. Um, and No Vex, I just want to go ahead and give a Kind of like a brief like definition for this, guys. Um, you know, at the start of Pulp Fiction, where we get the definition of pulp, no vex means all good. And this film is all about encapsulating that feeling, that vibe, and that way of life. Um, and it just kind of brings that to the forefront. It's a musical piece we worked on. Um, it's been our most complex short film as well. And we got some returning faces to this piece, if you're familiar with some of my other work of Galaxy of Film. Um, and you will see some of these people again in my next piece as well. But Novex drops November 6th. Um, link down below to the Galaxy Film Fan Club. And also next week, there'll be a link down below in these show notes for you guys to check out as well. Um, can't wait for you guys to see it, truly. I know Tyler is so pumped. We've been working on this film for a little over a year now, which is absolutely mind-blowing, considering it's only 6 minutes and 50 seconds. <laughs> but, you know, it, great things take time, guys. Um, but one last announcement I have for you guys here as well, discussing filmmaking. Um, we did start a GoFundMe up for my next film called Goonies and Agony. Now, if you're familiar with our work here on the YouTube channel, like the New York vlogs, um, Goonies and Agony was originally going to be my first short film and was something I anticipated to shoot in New York whenever we shot the New York vlogs. Um, and during that process, I kind of realized I wanted to redo the entire film, reshape it, rewrite it. Um, and there's been like five or six different drafts of this piece, actually, man. And it's truly gotten to a point where, um, with everything that's gone on in my life, that I feel like the delays have made this a better piece. You know, after every single draft, I've always felt like something was missing to connect this to an audience more. 
Um, and due to like the last, within a year actually, of everything going on, um, I finally feel like this piece is ready to see the live day and can truly connect to home and connect to audience members as well. Um, so we did start a GoFundMe for this one because this will be the biggest piece we've done. I'm anticipating this will be about a 25-minute film. Um, and we're looking, going, doing a premiere for it later on this year too, or excuse me, early next year, the first week of next year, actually, to be exact. Um, we got some returning cast members from other Galaxy film projects, got some new cast members. Um, I feel like Nick Fury assembling the Avengers because we've got all the crew members from my last three films coming together for this one. Um, and it, it's going to be a beast. So there is a GoFundMe for it. Um, we're trying to go ahead and raise money. We got a couple of donations so far, but our goal is $4,500. Uh, this will fully fund the rest of the equipment we need to go ahead and secure. This is securing studio time for the music. Um, this is securing location to film at and to, for flights to get some of our cast members out here and for housing for them too, as well as craft, because you've got to make sure you take care of your actors, guys. That is something that, obviously, Hollywood needs to take notes with. So, just like A24, Galaxy of Film will be listening to some of these rules here. You know, uh, all shade intended at you, Disney, but don't shadow Dennis for anything like that, buds. Um, but yeah, link down below if you guys want to support the GoFundMe by donating or even just sharing. Truly, that does help out much more than you can imagine, just like when I see these iTunes and Spotify reviews. Um, being able to get more eyes on this project is is a, a, so much of a help for us and is so essential to get the word out and to get this money raised. But I can't wait to show you guys when this film is done because I've been working on this for two years now, which is absolutely mind-blowing, um, considering nothing's shot yet. <laughs> but goodies and agony, I can't wait to film this and I can't wait to work with it, man. And actually, I've had a couple like new people coming on too. You guys will see, this is the return of Alex coming back on to work on a piece. Um, we got a close friend of mine named Josh who's producing this, who I've worked with since 2017. Um, if you listen to our Oppenheimer episode, I talk a bit about him in that one. Um, we got Naima, who's in Novex, coming on as a producer for this as well. We've got a great team, and I can't wait to work on this, guys. So link down below to that GoFundMe. But let's go ahead and talk about news this week. Danilo, I know this is something you're pretty excited about. Um, we finally have a sequel announced for It Follows, titled They Follow. Now, I haven't seen It Follows, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this and this news being released about the sequel coming up. Yeah, this is this is either going to be really good or really fucking shit, dude. Because, like, the first <laughs> one ended really, really good. Um, I remember I watched it. Out of all the days I could have watched a horror movie about, you know, an STD and, you know, that guy just coming to kill you. I chose Christmas Day at about 7 a.m. in the morning. I watched oh. this movie. Um, yeah, dude, I was just like, hey, you know what? Like, what is what is this movie about, man? So I turned it on. Really, really enjoyed it. Has a great score. Was shot in Detroit, like in the Metro Detroit area. So you know, obviously home to me. Like you, rec you grew up in the area. You like recognize the streets that they were shooting it at. Um, it was such an interesting concept of like saying, yeah, like an STD is killing you, you know. But it, you know, they made it a horror concept, so that's pretty cool. I mean, the ending for the people who saw it is just, you know, it's like one of those endings where it's like, is this really the ending or is there more? And I guess mm. there is going to be more, you know, but like I've always said on here, I always like having those what if endings. I don't like a definitive ending most of the time. And I like the what if, especially when it comes to horror. Um, so I'm a bit scared for it. But the fact that the same filmmaker is returning and the same uh, girl is returning, the main character I'm like, okay, I'm excited to see what they're going to do with it now. You know, sure. like, that seems like that's a green light um, for me. So it'll be cool. It kind of came out of nowhere, too, in my opinion. 
Yeah, like it I did. don't think anyone was like really like being like, "Hey, I I need an It Follows too. I need an It Follows too." They were just kind of like, "We love It Follows, and if it gets a sequel, it gets a sequel, and if it doesn't, we're okay with that." Mm-hmm. But you know, I think people are hyped for it. I know I am. Wonderful to hear, man. Serenus, what about you? Do you have any thoughts on on They Follow? They follow? No, I haven't even seen the first one. <laughs> okay, so we're in the same boat. I gotcha. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I need to check it out, man. This came out, what, like 2014, Danilo, I think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's up there. It's up there with, like, the... It, it's up there when, it, um, when Cabin of the Woods came out, with, like, we're starting a new type of horror. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, the more psychological. It's like, I would call it as one of those pioneers that started that whole push. Okay. Get, get Out and Us and... Mm. Um, you know, the lighthouse, all those type of fun films. Yeah, I need to check it out, man. It's been on my list for a minute. Um, this and the A twenty four movie, it comes at night. I've always been like, for whatever reason, paired together when I'm thinking of weird horror movies in recent years. So Oh yeah. I know what you're talking about, yeah. Need to check I'm it sure out. I, watch it comes at night. I, I tried to see that in theaters, man, and my buddy who we were we were eight, I think all eighteen at the time actually. Um he didn't have his ID with him. Like, it was of age, but just didn't have his ID. Yeah. And that was the only R-rated wow. movie I've ever been denied for. Because one person didn't have his ID. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, up next, we got a little bit of a sad piece of news. Matthew Perry from Friends has unfortunately passed away at age 54. Um, rest in peace. This is definitely a shock in the industry and the fandom for Friends. Um, I know my girlfriend and her family were absolutely devastated. Um, Daniela, do you have any comments on this piece of news? No. Yeah. And Serenus, what about you? Oh, I guess we know we're not going to get a friend reunion, ever. Well, that was a response. (laughs) Rest in peace. Uh, I was was hoping that we were going to get one one day. They keep saying, like, they they, they tease it, they don't tease it, but, like, it's done now. Yeah, that's true. We got the the HBO Max thing from, like, well, during COVID. Remember they did, like, the little i guess it's a reunion yeah. technically but yeah yeah same thing like that one of the fresh prince of bell i won really badly and i got that instead but it's unfortunate rest in peace um you know i know him mainly from fallout new vegas he's benny which is mind-blowing um you know he's the main antagonist of that or one of the main antagonists in that game um rest in peace man that, that that game definitely had a huge effect on me within uh my my high school years i was a big friends guy i just didn't have that attachment to the show but new vegas i sank an unhealthy amount of hours in <laughs> <laughs> yeah um next piece of news our last bit for the week um kind of ironic because of course we are talking scorsese and this is more of a rumor than anything but apparently Marvel almost replaced Kang with Doctor Doom after the Jonathan Majors arrest this year. Um, and also this news being rumored slash leaked, it's also rumored that we're getting a new Avengers film, not the Kang Dynasty, not Secret Wars, but a different one starring our original six Avengers. Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Hulk, Black Widow, and Hawkeye. Um... What are, what are your opinions on both these? Because you've been kind of vocal with the MCU the last year, or so especially with the Jonathan yeah. Major stuff. Um, I I don't know. Like I saw the leaks as well, saying all the original six are coming back. I don't know if it would be for a movie or what have you, but I saw that, and then I saw that they're trying to shift away from Kang. Mm-hmm. Um, my thing is though, you know, if 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 they had the balls to not make a PR statement or anything like that. Then you got to stick with it and stick with your gut. 
and just keep on pushing the Kang dynasty, you know, whatever yeah. that may be. Like, like if, if that, if because you didn't say it back then, so if if you're, you know, if you weren't vocal about it back then, just stick to your, you know, stick to your position and just keep pushing it. You know, I'm not saying it's right by any means, but just stick with it and just keep yeah. going. Um, now I know opinions can change and all that stuff, but like, you, I don't think we're ever gonna see Disney put a PR thing out about that whole situation at all. No. Um, yeah, and the Doctor Doom thing, I don't know. Like, I kind of get that as well, though, because um, I know the Fantastic Four was rumored to come out, right? Well, it's it's coming out still. It just it's one of those things yeah. that it was like from that investors meeting when Lando was announced, the droids, all yeah. that kind of stuff. So, like, that's you know, like I think either of the villains would be cool. I know I'd much rather have Kang though, just because it seems more like whoa, like you know, a bit more high level type stuff. Sure. Because at the moment, Marvel like just Marvel just like doesn't have it and i would always talk to my cousin about it and we would always be like marvel's biggest flaw was per like marvel killed the box office every year they still do to an extent you know but their biggest flaw was having end game be this end all be all like have it literally be the end game mm -hmm. and they've just never recovered from it they've never could create another threat that was like you know as big as what thanos was sure so you know so like what's the more bigger threat than the universe i guess a multiverse so, but we'll see. On the original six coming back, though, why? You know, why? You paid them. They got paid. I don't think any of them are asking for more money. I don't really know if any yeah, of them are asking I think her loss is still going from Black Widow. <laughs> yeah, so besides her, yeah, besides her, I don't know anyone else, though, who wants to come back. Yeah, my thing with the original six stuff, too, is, is this, because I, I fully anticipate we'll see Captain, or like, you know, Chris Evans back in the role. Obviously, Ruffalo's still involved with She-Hulk, even I didn't finish that. Um, I do think whenever uh, Jeremy Renner is fully up to it after his injury last year, we'll get another season of Hawkeye, because that show did semi-well. Um, and I, I do think to some degree, whether it be a show, bringing him back, a multiverse thing, we'll see Robert Downey Jr. at some point. You know, yeah. say what you want about his career. Um, but before Iron Man, before or after Iron Man, anything about it. But one thing I'll, I'll, I'll say is I don't think Robert Downey Jr. takes that role for granted at all. And I definitely oh, I, think... I know he doesn't, yeah. I definitely think he's not willing to do a fan service type of deal. But I think in the right script, he'll gladly come back to it. Kind of like we're seeing Hugh Jackman for Wolverine and Deadpool 3. So it's just a matter of when that'll happen. But it's not something I feel like it needs to be anticipated. You know, I don't think he's at the edge of his seat waiting for a phone call by any means. You know what I'm saying? It's 10 years from now, once we're yeah. either having our next big Avengers thing or you just have a random story that could use my character, he'll come back. But from what I've, from what I've gathered and pieced together a bit, it's looking like this is a movie like bringing that like with all six of them not just a another endgame level thing where they happen to kind of be brought back to the forefront but like they're starring in this um that i'm kind of against you know we've already had our two movies that focus on them and then two additional avengers movies where they're the main stars with the full ensemble cast of everyone else basically um and almost everyone got a trilogy, too, for the most part. Like, Thor's had his trilogy, or four movies now, getting a fifth one still. Iron Man's had his trilogy. You know, Cap's had his trilogy. Hulk's had his movie and his show. Like, I'm just I'm just done, dude. I'm marveled out still. I think it's dumb as hell to bring back the original six in their own solo thing. Um, 
you know, I'm I have not enjoyed King at all. I did not like Loki season one. I'm skipping season two completely. Um, did not like Quantum Mania. So like, I'm just not enjoying any of the King stuff, unfortunately. Um, I like Doctor Doom as a villain, and Doctor Doom is something I have been looking forward to. And I would personally like to see like Brian Cranston as Doctor Doom one day. That's a that's a fan cast I've been pitching since the start of the podcast. I like that first uh, Fantastic Four movie, and I even like Rise of the Silver Surfer. It has great moments. But, man, I think it is a huge waste of a character, of an actor, and of your overall story, your overall continuity to just shoehorn King out and replace him with Doctor Doom. Um, if that's the case, I won't watch that movie. You know, Doctor Doom is the next villain after Thanos that makes me give a shit. And to see them just kind of use them as like a band-aid is disappointing, unfortunately. But, Sarandos, what are your thoughts on this? Because we haven't had you on for any of the MCU stuff. So where do you stand on everything going on? They are fucking desperate yeah. right now. Um, uh, I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> I, I'm i a huge nerd <laughs> and, and, and Marvel. Uh, uh, yeah, everything after Endgame, uh, I hate absolutely hate they i think it all sucked um i don't i don't think there is anything that's semi-decent if anything maybe shang chi but uh that was a huge disappointment um how they handled every single character uh absolutely horrendous how they ch- i i always hated how watiti uh taika watiti treated thor and ragnarok i hated it because mm. he kind Really, just ripped everything that made uh, Thor and just made him a clown. And mm-hmm. I, I, I liked, I enjoyed the movie. Uh, Ragnar, I did enjoy the movie, but that was not Thor. The Thor that we got from the th- Thor one, two, uh, from the Avengers, and then the Thor that we got in Ragnarok, completely different person. Yeah. Um. So, and that, it was just wasn't Thor. It was just Chris Hemsworth being funny. Mm. And we really got to see what Taika Waititi can bring for the <laughs> Love and Thunder. <laughs> um, but yeah, how every character every character has pretty much been trashed besides Iron Man and Captain America because you can't trash them because they're dead. <laughs> yeah. um, and so now, right now, honestly, like bringing the original six, I don't disagree with it because they are the Avengers. They are. It's what made Marvel huge. It's what people love about Marvel. It's it's Captain America, Thor, Iron Man. But um, just recast, reboot the goddamn thing. Nobody cares about what you uh, like. The Kane Dynasty was pathetic. Uh, the first iteration we got of Kane, I seen Loki. Didn't like Loki at all. They ruined Loki for me. The cast character. Uh, then in the, the first introdu- introduction to Kane was this clown. Right, mm-hmm. and people's defense was, "Oh, he's—it's just a, a version of him." Well, that was my first impression of Kane, and he was a clown. So uh, I, I thought he was a joke right from the beginning. Didn't even care to see Ant Man because I—I was already basically done at that point. No, oh, lucky you. <laughs> and then I saw like, oh my, uh, just just clips and and this, what the story is. It's so predictable what every story is right now. Uh, and then, yeah, and every version of Kane that we saw has lost. Mm-hmm. So what makes you think, like, this next version of Kane is going to win? <laughs> they already beat him every time we've seen him. And uh, anyway, so 
uh, right now, you can see they're doing a huge overhaul. Like what this, what the strikes have done for Disney is right now. I think they weeded out everyone <laughs> that's mm-hmm. like written all this crap. And so, as you can, uh, as I don't know if you uh, read read upon it, uh, they just canned eight episodes of uh, that were already filmed of Daredevil, and I fired, did read about that. Yeah, fired the directors, fired the writers, and they're gonna redo it. They, uh, I think the new Blade movie, they did the exact same thing. They je- they almost lost Mahershala Ali for Blade, actually. Yeah, because, you know, obviously what they were going to do with the script was it was pr- pretty much predictable. I don't know if you saw the recent South Park episode, but that can explain it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, um, nice. But yeah, uh, on the thing like, oh, bringing in new characters to be the new Avengers, it's not appealing because they're not the Avengers. You can always build them up, and you can have them as side characters, but they're not Avengers. It's Iron Man, Captain America, it's Hulk, it's Thor, uh, Ant-Man. Um, unfortunately, they can't use Spider-Man because they don't own it, but um, like those are the stable characters that made Marvel what it is today, not uh, these random side characters that failed in the comics and kind of ruined the comic industry. Mm. Um, anyways, yeah, I could talk about this for hours, but bring back the original. It doesn't have to be Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans. They're getting old. Just recast. The characters are bigger than the actors. No, like we love Robert Downey Jr. He did his time. We love Chris Evans. He did his time. Scarlett Johansson. She's getting old, man. Like how much? <laughs> uh, recast them. Do it right, and just write a good script, and we will we will love it. And just wait. Give it a few years. Let let all this Marvel stuff get like out of our minds. Yeah, I just think hiatus is necessary, man. Like that's something we were so against whenever we were like really high into the pandemic. Before WandaVision came out, we were kind of starved, and I feel like that um, that public starvation of Marvel kind of led to an oversaturation immediately after. You know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I feel you on that, though, man. Maybe we'll talk about that for hours. It's it's crazy with Marvel. But that's going to wrap it up for news this week, because for shows, we're talking more Marvel. Danilo, you've been watching Loki Season 2, correct? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm the only one who's been watching Loki, man. From yeah. the little Galaxy of Film. Whenever you see the tweets on Galaxy of Film, man, I'm watching. That's me always watching about Loki. <laughs> um, Yeah, I kind of watch it for Owen Wilson, basically, dude. Just because he's a fucking tank as Lightning McQueen, you know. Wow. Don't miss out of Lightning McQueen... Uh, Crocs, but one day, one day they will enter my shoe collection. I promise you, I'll never stop wearing them until they beat <laughs> the hell. But um, yeah, man, it's it's a good show to an extent. When you just like I said with Star Wars, when you just come to the realization that like they don't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> like no one just know like these big IPs just don't know what the hell they're doing anymore. Sure. Um, oh god, like catch up on the show, guys. Before you know, or just skip like the next 10 15 seconds or something but yeah they just like blew up the entire timeline so i don't like that was their mid-season thing because they probably just don't know what the fuck else to do and him speaking of saying kang died bro kang just died again like he just died again and this like he was in it for three episodes and then just was incinerated and they use it as like a joke of like go out there and fix the timeline thing man and he takes one step out there and he just gets like disintegrated and my first reaction was like Okay, like, what are we doing? Like, just what are we doing, guys? 
and then like Loki sees a big light, and I think his character is going to get rebooted now as well. Um, because everyone loved him too, you know, like he, you know, everyone liked him mm-hmm. from the beginning as well as as a villain. So maybe they're going to make him go back to that. But yeah, yeah, that was uh, it's it's an all right show, but like once you just come to realization, they just don't know what they're doing. They're kind of just like writing a script, you know, every week basically and shooting it in the in the what do they call it the the vision the, the dome. Yeah, the volume. They go in there, they shoot it, and they're like, "Ah, cool. Well, we can we can sell it as Loki." Disappointing. Man. Owen Wilson though's killing it, man. Owen Wilson's those killing it. How, how is doing a good job? Kihu Kwan doing? How's who? Kihu Kwan. Short round. He's doing great too, man. D- Tell me why it's called Loki, and the two Lokis and uh, Kang are just acting like they're just you know signing a check. But here I have Hugh Wong and fucking Owen Wilson acting like it's their last hurrah, man. <laughs> it's their magnum opius. And I'm like, oh, God, that's who you know we're having a problem here. It's his magnum mobius. That was... I want to uh, write something by uh, get your guys' opinions and think if this could work. So, you know, in the comics, right, they have tons of stories, right? It's mm. all it's the same characters. And you're like, how old are these people? Are these characters for it to have like, like you know, decades of stories, right? How how much stuff has happened in their life, and they're all like relatively like the same age throughout all these stories. Now, so obviously you can't do that with actors unless you know you CGI them and do all this deep faking stuff. But let's say that you don't deep fake them. Do you think you can to continue these stories? Like so, like because Robert Downey Jr. is in his fifties or turning sixty, right? Mm-hmm. He's getting up there. Chris Evans is getting old. He can't stay jacked forever. He can't keep pumping, you know, uh, juice in them to keep it. <laughs> it's obviously not good for for their health. So do you, this is what I'm thinking. Like, to make it almost like the comics. So instead of just rebooting the entire thing, can't you just... You recast, get a new actor in. Um, it, It's not... They're not playing... Like, they're not... Say, a new actor to be Tony Stark, but they don't play Robert Downey Jr.'s version of Tony Stark. but So we, so we still get a new iteration of him, but it's the same character, you know? Oh, just a multiverse thing. Like, people were wanting Tom Cruise as, as Tony no, Stark at one point. No multiverse. It's the same one. Because then you, when you go into multiverses, then you'd be like... Because uh, you want you want progression in the characters. You want character development. Because remember, in, like, in the comics, it's the same characters. Not multiverse stuff. It's the same characters. But like you, because you can write it of them being the same age, like, um, but you can't do that with actors. But you just recast the role and you just continue on the story. Oh, just act like nothing's ever happened. Yeah, and and maybe educate the audience, thinking like you know, like it's the same character, just different actors. So we do get that new flavor. So we're not getting the same version of Iron Man, but it is the same Iron Man. Kind of, kind of like a like James Bond almost. I get, yeah, I guess so, yeah. For like yeah. some of the like the, the Pierce Bros and stuff. Yeah, I got you. I get what you're saying. Th- that could work, I feel like, but I don't see them leaning into it. I just don't. Yeah. yeah. And I say that because obviously it's Disney involved, and they've been leaning into the deep fake stuff. Oh, and the no. de aging. Mm. Not with not with the MCU just yet. You know, I don't, we haven't gotten to that point yet, but like Indiana Jones, That's for example, when we've lost man. all hope. That's when we've lost all hope when they go to the MCU. They know they need it for Star Wars right now, but as soon as they hit the MCU, that's when and you see, know. I, when when it's it comes to, to Star Wars, dude, I think it's acceptable in small usages. Like like Leia in Rogue One, for example. I think that's doable. I think Luke in End of Mando Season 2 is doable. But when we have, uh, like, like Solo, that would be funky the whole time, man. 
It just would. Yeah. Harrison's Ford deepfake in, in Dial of Destiny works because it's the opening scene. You know, it's not a two-hour film. Um, I just don't see them going through the effort to do anything other than deepfakes right now because they are somewhat successful. You know, once they get the confidence to do a full feature length with that, those either deepfakes, de-aging, whatever you want to call it, I think we'll stick with that. I mean, obviously, we kind of got that a bit with Samuel Jackson and Captain Marvel, but that's more makeup and him just having a fucking eye patch on than, you know, and editing a couple wrinkles out than him having a full head of hair again, changing his entire look, his eye color, like uh, Irishman, whole nine yards. Um, whenever we get to that point, I think it'll be a more regular, like, constant thing once they have the confidence to do so. Yeah, bro. I have a friend who's fully into this uh, deep faking stuff. Like he 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 he, he believes that Sebastian Stan should play Luke Skywalker, and like I'm I, as a you know actor that understands a little bit more acting. I'm like I'm like sure if he can play Luke Skywalker. I don't yeah. care if he looks like Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. If, I'm like I don't care. Can he play Luke Skywalker? Like the guy who played uh, Solo in the in in the movie. He did fine. Yeah. 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 He didn't have to look like Harrison Ford. He kind of had similar features. You can see it's Han Solo, but like as long as his mannerisms are the same, like that's what actors do. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Alden's a perfect example of that, man. And just if you deep fake, like this is, remember when they do, I don't know if it's still going on. The, the, the James Dean, like world war two epic, they're going to deep fake his face on an, uh, I remember hearing about that. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just like, it's not James Dean, though. You know, it's that's another. It's another actor, just with makeup on, like a CGI makeup on his face. Mm-hmm. So, it's not James Dean because who you don't know if James Dean was going to do the exact same performance. So it doesn't. So it's like if you deep fake, I don't know, like uh, Harrison Ford's face uh, in the new Star Wars movie, and it's featuring you know uh, Han Solo, but it's not Harrison Ford. You just put Harrison Ford's face on somebody else. It's not Harrison Ford's performance. Yeah, and it, it's a funky comparing to Star Wars again. Like, um, again, bring up Rogue One. Like, Tarkin's funky for that. Peter Cushing's character. Like, Peter Cushing has a distinct look, so I think they can kind of get away with it. But you couldn't. We we clearly recast Mon Moth Mon Mothma from the Rebel Alliance with Andor, the prequels, uh, Ahsoka, even as well too. We're not deep faking her at all. So why aren't we attempting to do something different with basically her her rival, more or less, in the Empire, Tarkin? Why why are we just defaking that nonstop? It's a whole uh, rabbit hole, man. Because they're trapped. They're they're uh uh what's it called? Contracts. She probably put something in when they when she when Rogue One finally found the casting for who would play Mon Mothma. Mm-hmm. That Mon Mothma actress probably knew deep faking was coming up because it was around that time. And she put something in her contract where Mark Hamill probably never knew. Carrie Fisher never knew. Harrison Ford never knew. All those guys never knew. You know, that, hey, like, we don't want to be deep faked or anything like that. And I think that's why they get away with it for all those people. And same with Peter Cushing. I think the estate granted them power now. Well, though, the, I know I, of Carrie. Carrie did consent to that. That was a big thing. Yeah. She passed away, like, what, four days after Rogue One? And she was yeah, happy yeah. with everything happening in Rogue One. Yeah. Um, and... Hamill consented too, because that is Hamill playing Luke. 
in which one though? In the Mando or in the man- end of Mando? Se- oh, I'm sorry, Boba Fett or in uh, Both. Mando? Two? They they in Boba Fett it switches between the actual actor when he's doing the stunt stuff of Grogu on his back yeah. and Hamill like when he's sitting down giving the lightsaber away. Oh, okay. And that's Hamill that's actually there in the hallway scene, or not not the hallway? Excuse me. Yeah. No, um, when he walks into the room and takes the hood off. Yeah, yeah. No, I get you. So uh, Hamill, it's weird. It's 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 a weird gray line, man. We could talk about the deep fake stuff all day. It's it's crazy, but let's go ahead, guys, and take a quick break for our listeners. We're going to go over our stream of the week brought to you by Dakari this week. We're also going to go over our rating system in case you're new to the show. And when we come back, we're talking Killers of the Flower Moon. We'll be right back, guys. Oh, hi, Mark. The Galaxy of Film rating system is based off planets featured within the Star Wars films. From our highest rating to lowest, here is the order in which we rate these films. Number 5. Coruscant, the entire planet is one big city. Number 4. Bespin, it's pretty far, but I think we can make it. Mining colony? Yeah, Tabana gas mine. Number 3. Like you did by the lake on Naboo. Number 2. Set your course for the Hawk system. And lastly, number one. Gotta get back to Jakku. Back to Jakku! Why does everyone want to go back to Jakku? Greetings, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. This is Dakari Hoder coming at you live right about now from Galaxy Film Headquarters Podcasting Territory. And today for Stream of the Week, I'm going to talk to you guys a little shortly about a film I watched called Duel of the Seven Tigers. Duel of the Seven Tigers, that's a little bit of a weird title because if you know what duel means, then you know, yeah, we're not going to get into that. But anyway... It's a good movie. This is a movie that I've watched the intro for so many times because it has an ensemble cast for Kung Fu Cinema. And I've been in such a Kung Fu mood lately, so I just decided to put that on one day. I feel as if a lot of things could have been, you know, explored more and arcs could have been completed near the end. But at the same time, this is an action extravaganza. The choreography is excellent and it has a very simple story that's easy to follow for the most part. So go check it out and have fun. All right, guys, and we're back from our break. Let's go ahead and talk Killers of the Flower Moon. Pablo, I've been waiting for this for weeks, bro. Give us the recap. All right, dude. So we start off with just like, I really don't even know. We're just starting off with like a ritual kind of of like the Osage Indian being like, um, hey, please like go away, white people. We don't want to be colonized by you. And then all of a sudden they like oil just bursts out of nowhere and they're like, ah, shit, this is pretty lit. And then all of a sudden, Leonardo DiCaprio comes in and he's like, hey guys. And I couldn't tell if like he was like a shell shock from World War One or something, but he seemed like a bit off. Seemed like there was something wrong with the guy. Mm. Um, but then he came home after the war and saw his uncle, Mr. Robert De Niro. And uh, they were just kind of hanging out, talking or whatever. And then Robert was all like, yeah, man, um, I could get you a job down in these parts, these neck of the woods, so to speak. And so... Robert was like, be a taxi cab driver. And my first thought was like, well, that's really weird. You're telling me that like a taxi cab driver like is what you do after you win the war. But okay. Um, a chauffeur. I think that's what they call him back. Then. Mm. So he was a chauffeur. He was chauffeuring for Native Americans. And then I was like, whoa, okay. Um, that's really weird because I don't remember reading about any of that. 
in my history textbooks. So that's odd. And then we keep diving down deeper and you like come to find out that the men are actually looking for their wives so they can have their like oil rights or whatever. Like it's called something like not that, but something rights, but the oil rights basically essentially. And I was like, whoa, the patriarchy? Is it just has it just been crumpled by this little this little tribe out here because of the cause the cause they got rich off of oil? So anyway, though, that starts happening. And then all of a sudden, all these, like, Native Americans start dying. And you're like, whoa, what the H? Like, that's actually really odd. But then you were like, oh, for some reason, they, like, all have diabetes. That's even more odd. Um, <laughs> but then Robert was like, actually, I'm killing them. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, so anyway, though, Leonardo DiCaprio falls in love with this girl. And he's, like, you know, like, sweet talking and all that fun stuff. And Robert was like, yo, marry her. And Leo was like, oh, I guess so, king or uncle, if you really want me to. And he's like, marry her and get the head rights. Head rights, that's what it was called. Head rights, get your head rights. And so he did that. And I was like, ah, good for Leo, man. Good for Leo. It seems like they were generally in love in the beginning. Um, then Robert was like, yeah, Leo, I'm going to need you to like help me start killing off all her family. So they literally start killing off all her family. Um, like they're just shooting her, um, uh, poisoning, I think it was for her with, uh, the freaking oh God, what's it? The diabetes, diabetes, uh, insulin, insulin mm. shots that they give her, all that fun stuff and not fun. Um, and the doctors are in on it too. Like the doctors are like, just, you know, like chopping the bodies up and everything like that. We learned now by the FBI that like, you know, something like mysterious has happened out here. Um, the mother dies in the film as well, but, um, uh, I forget her name. What's her name? Uh, Lily, Lily Gladstone's character mother dies in the film, dude. And so, like, now it's just basically Lily is the only one left standing who has all these oil rights and everything. And that's why Leo's, like, poisoning her, just getting ready for her to die, when in reality she's, like, not sick at all. Mm. And Robert getting more and more just aggressive. Like, he's telling people to just go, like, shoot him in the, in the head and make it look like a suicide. He has life insurance policies on like quote unquote some of his friends and he, you know, wait kills them once like so he can collect the big checks. And then he even blows up the neighbor's house, Lily Glassstone's sister's house in the film. Just like when you're like, oh Jesus. Then Leo's like, wait a minute. I don't think my uncle's too good here. I really don't. Um, uh, but he keeps on doing like the bidding. So obviously he's like still just rolling, rolling with the punches. Then all of a sudden, dude, Jesse Plemons' character comes in. You're like, whoa, what the H? Haven't seen this guy since El Camino. And he just comes in there, man, and he's chilling. And he's like, yeah, I'm actually the FBI. So uh, what the fuck's going on here? And he's asking all the questions, asking all the questions. They put a little rat in the tribe uh, to, like, get some more information about the Osage people and wondering what the fuck's going on. And we're doing all that. And then all of a sudden, Leo gets arrested. Robert gets arrested. Or charged at least. I think they both get charged and arrested. And Lily Gladstone's character just gets turned back to normal all of, a, all of a sudden because she realizes, like, oh my god, I'm not being poisoned by, you know, my fucking husband. Mm. Um, but she didn't know that until like the very end of like trial. Basically, she just really thought like, you know, Leo like was in the blind until the very end. Then all of a sudden, Brendan Fraser comes out of the fucking movie, dude. He's like, <laughs> let me speak to my client, and you're like, well, Brendan cameo. And he and so then the judge is like, yeah, we'll do whatever with Brendan. Then Brendan's basically like, yeah, listen. Um, so we're white. You're white too. We don't know why you're talking for them. And like, it, like that's kind of what he was saying with what he, you know with what he was saying in that film. And then Leo's like, no, you right, Brendan, you right. 
And then he joins Brendan's team, and all of a sudden, dude, he's like, wait, actually, I feel so bad for my wife. I'm going to join her team. Mm. Why? Because their kid died. And I don't think, though, maybe, maybe I missed something, but I don't think King killed DiCaprio's kid. I think it was actually just natural causes, but that was the end. That was the end for Leo. Leo said, I'm done. So he then goes testifies again against his uncle. And you're like, woo, yay, he gets sentenced to prison. And that was kind of it. And then you find out, the wife finds out that she was getting poisoned just religiously by Leo. And then it kind of takes a somber toll where you go into the, oh, it's called something because I learned about it in college here in popular studies class. It was the news updates. That's what the radio news. Radio news is what it was. And you got a little little cameo by Martin Scorsese himself. Mm-hmm. And we find out what happened to everyone and how everyone's life turned out. And that yeah. was the end of the film. Kind of like, uh, you're going to hate me for this, dude, but kind of like Asteroid City. <laughs> no. That's what it feels like, buddy. That's what it feels like. But anyways, bro, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this because obviously you're, Scorsese is your favorite director. Um, we haven't talked about him too much in the podcast. I think all we've done is Goodfellas, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, because we didn't do The Irishman because I talked about that by myself and I put in a top five. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So here we are finally doing a like, dedicated episode to him. Um, and this is something, obviously, you've been hyping up for over a year now with the whole being Brendan Fraser, whatnot, and then being very vocal and like, being one of your most anticipated for the year. Um, how, how did this hold up for you walking out of the theater? Um, to be honest, dude, my first reactions were like, Scorsese, did you just, did you just phone one in here? Robert, did you just, did you just phone one in? Mm. And DiCaprio, did you just phone one in and collect a check? Um, I think it was, I wanted to see a mafia film. I love The Irishman because that's what that was. And I, and I love all his mafia films of, from Mean Streets to Goodfellas to Casino, all that type of like underground work. I've said mm. on this podcast once, and I'll say it again. I would have loved to join that life. Like that life just seems so incredibly amazing to me. Mm. Um, just the lore, everything about it. So that was my initial reaction. But driving home, I was like, okay, that's not really what this movie was about. But there were aspects to it which I really enjoyed. Um, I, I, there's a still a part of me that thinks Robert phoned it in. There really is. Um, I don't think Scorsese did though. I, th- I think he went out. I, I think it was just a, an epic, an epic that he had planned, and I think Leo Caprio did a good job. Mm. Everything like that. So it for sure changed. It for sure changed in like the after three days of sitting on it. But initially coming out of it, man, th- this was a straight Naboo. Wow, damn. Yeah. Okay. So okay. it took a while for it to grow on me, but you know. Okay. And Serena, so how big of a Scorsese fan are you as well? Oh, big, big. Okay, gotcha. So when you watch, when you yeah. watch out the theater, what were your first thoughts on this piece? Um, I I I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Okay. Um, uh, I I thought the performances all around were f- incredible. Um, uh, I, I don't think Robert phoned it in, and I I made a I didn't make a review video on this on my channel. And, okay. And I I did mention that Robert De Niro like. For a while, he's been phoning in a lot of performances, but like when he did The Irishman, uh, he held a three and a half hour movie all by himself. Mm. Uh, only how many actors can do that? And uh, this is another performance. No, I don't think he phoned it in. He he played two characters 
in this movie, he played a character uh, where he was like the lovable old man, you know, uh, it, he put, put on this facade and all the all the Osage people loved him because he they viewed him as he played this character as like loving, caring, uh, helped out with the community. But in reality, he was a snake the entire time. And the analogy I mean is like a sheep's uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's what he was in that in in the film. And he played both sides. He kind of was like that mafia Robert De Niro, but more of a <laughs> like a southern. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, uh, DiCaprio was great. I was kind of confused of what his character really was. Uh, like, like, was he just like a plain idiot <laughs> in the film? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think he, he was very naive. Uh, and I believe the story was based on a true story, right? This actually happened. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So, um, like we're all used to Scorsese doing his mafia stuff, but, uh, and I, yeah, I, I, did, I was the same thing. Like, like I was expecting of that kind of mafia kind of movie style, like, like Scorsese does, but, um, this is exactly what he intended to do. It's supposed to be very raw and, because it was a true story, and I think he wanted to keep it as true as he could. And the the one word I can describe this movie uh, is, is heavy. <laughs> Ooh, it's very heavy, right, man? I I came out of the theater feeling like absolute shit. <laughs> this is definitely one of those. Yeah, it's definitely a. I'm not big on like historic piece films. If that makes sense, like time pieces. Um. You know, a terrible comparison I'm about to make, but, like, things like Titanic, you know, where it's about one instance in a point in time. I, I just don't really care for certain films like that. And so Killers of the Thunder Moon, on paper, didn't have me excited for it. Um, I've avoided all the trailers. I've avoided anything other than, like, just a general synopsis. And I'm being aware that this was based off of a book as well. Um, because I was like, man, I don't want to set any expectations for myself to not want to enjoy this film. Um, but thankfully, coming out of the theater for this, I did feel that sense of it being very heavy. I felt the weight of this. Um, but I also felt the the love for the story and wanting to tell it and bring it to life. And I definitely think the finale, with Scorsese's cameo in this, and it being the, the radio show bit, I think brings that to life and adds that personal touch to, um, to really show that this isn't just a story to to just to make and like to, to adapt something if that makes sense. This is a story to bring to life of this situation and bring awareness to it as well, which makes me interested. This isn't necessarily just a reenactment to reenact, you know, this is something that there's actual thought and passion going into it as well. Um, I know a lot of the Osage people have gone off and have spoken about this movie in support of it too, which is also nice to hear their approval for as well as well. Um, but yeah, I, I was thoroughly impressed with this, but I didn't love it, if that makes sense. Um, of course, this is right at like three and a half hours. This is something we've all known for quite some time with this runtime. Um, but I feel like this last 30-ish minutes, you feel the last half hour, despite the finale being so solid. Um, I, I just wish some of the trial would have been kind of chopped and cut around, if that makes sense. As fun as it was to see Brendan Fraser, because we had that connection with him, Danilo, at that point, I was just like, damn, like, I still got another half hour to go. You know what I'm saying? Um, and for performances as well, I did like Leo's performance. Um, I love Robert. He's grown on me more and more over the years. 
Um, but I was really blown away by Lily Gladstone. I know, if I'm not mistaken, she's in that show Reservation Dogs, um, which I've heard good things about. It's like on Hulu, I think. If yeah. I'm not mistaken. I heard great things about that. However, I only know her from this little A24 movie called First Cow. And I think that was like one of my stream of the weeks when we first started the podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but she has a small role in that movie, and I'd only seen her in that. So to see her kind of like at the forefront of this AAA actor, excuse me, AAA director putting her into this new, um, like big epic piece he's been wanting to work on for some time was super interesting. And she killed the performance in this the whole time. Like, I get it. She's not a very um, emotional person throughout this movie, if that makes sense. Like, she gets a couple key moments, but for a good bit, she's kind of contempt and almost like monotone. Um, but it works with this film. Um, and I think it's a good balance to the the ill intentions with DiCaprio to an extent. Because, of course, like, yeah, it's his wife. He falls in love with her. Um, and like he said, like when his kid dies, that's kind of the moment where he's on her team fully. But it, it didn't start off that way. And that's the whole point that the whole trial is taking place for, basically. Because there are these awful intentions to kind of undermine and to take this money um, and land from the Osage tribe, from Robert's character. Um, so I really was impressed with Gladstone's performance in this. Um, I thought, as far as like cinematography goes, it was gorgeous. I love the opening bit where they're kind of dancing in the oil before they get all this money. That was really cool to see. Um, you know, I, I don't know, man. This was definitely a weird entry for Scorsese that I liked. You know, it was different from his Mafia films because I really wasn't a fan of The Irishman. I've been vocal about that. Like, I felt every second of that movie, it felt like. Um, so to see him kind of do something a bit bolder, but also with the same runtime, was super interesting for me. Um, Daniel, what were some standout moments you had with this film? Yeah, um, I really thought Lily Gladstone was carrying this movie for me. I mean, I really, I really enjoyed her acting. I think the monotone voice is still acting. I don't know. She seemed like she was just a very relaxed person, and I think yeah. I would be too if I just had a shit ton of cash at that age and just didn't care. Like you know, because like I'm, I mean, not care, but like, you don't have a care in the world at that point with all that money. Like you don't care who's trying to hit on you because you don't need that. Uh, I don't know what the right word is, but you don't need that. Uh, you don't need the bump in the uh, financial system, you know. Sure. In the and all that stuff. So, so, so she just didn't care about like Leo. I mean, she fell in love with him, obviously, and he fell in love with her. Um, I was really tied into that whole aspect, and and like Serenus was saying, like I don't really know what Leo's part was in this film because he seemed like there was like it seemed like he was just dumb, but he was like not at the same time like he kind of he was self-aware what he was doing but he still like loved his wife somehow between Mm. all that but yet like it it was really odd um so uh lily glasson was i thought great um she has all those standout moments um when basically her whole family just getting picked picked through one by one and then even the um her friend or her ex her ex-fiance ex-husband uh when he died i forget his name you know when they went and shot him um she had a good performance there too um, but yeah, that would be my standout moments. I loved, I love, love, love the when her mother died, and we got like um, what the Osage people would see when that happens, or what the the ritual would be, like what's in, transcribed or what they think that they're gonna see in that in that next life. I thought that was really, really cool. I thought that was a great way to be authentic. 
mm. um, to the Osage people and everything like that. I, you know, I thought that was like, like that, like that was good. That was really cool. Um, but yeah, and just going off just the uh, the ending too. I love the ending. I, I think some people are gonna look at that ending and be like, oh, this is corny. Like, what the hell is Scorsese doing, man? Like, why did he just give himself a cameo in his film? Like, seems like he just put himself in there to, you know, get another IMDb credit. Like, what's the point of that? But that, like, what it would be for that time, you know, I, that that is what it would be there. And I think what would be, I think what's an interesting parallel is back then, the, probably the only people who were listening to the radio were the Osage people, and they didn't really give a shit. I mean, they, they gave a shit, but the other people who were tuning in just didn't give a shit. You know, your average Joe who got home from work who listened to that radio broadcast be put out there, like turning it down or doing whatever they're doing. Mm. We're here when you go to a theater. You're locked in. You know, I mean, maybe you got up and left, but I don't see anyone getting up and leaving during that, you know, little 20 minutes. <laughs> sure. So, so since he's telling you, you know, this was important. Like you said, this was important. This actually happened. This is a pretty bad part in our history. And this is a small chunk of it that I'm going to tell you, you know. Um, so it forces us to even listen to it, be self-aware of actions in the, pa- in the pre- past or whatever, and, you know, moving forward as well. So I really, really liked that ending. I really thought that was cool um, to do. I thought it was a great tribute. Um, and I just thought it was a great story. Like, you know, it took me a while to grow on it. Like, you have your gangster moments in there, but sure. it's just not that type of story. And once I was, like, okay with that, I was like, this is a solid, solid movie. And I really, really enjoyed it. Absolutely, man. 100% fun on that. And Sarandis, what are some standout moments for you or other general thoughts you have on this piece? I'm, like... Honestly, there wasn't really standout moments. Like, there wasn't like a moment where I'm like, "This is like an Oscar scene." This is gonna be like, besides like the house blowing up, like that mm-hmm. was the moment in that movie. Um, uh, just seeing Lily's Gladstone's character, for her name Molly, uh, just seeing her family being decimated, like, oh my, that was it was hard because that was a real thing. Um. But yeah, the ending, I, I loved it. Uh, it wasn't that typical text fading in, saying this is what happened. Sure. And it really, really showed you this was a passion project for Scorsese, like he said in the beginning of the movie, which I've been liking the trend of like directors or producers coming out and saying, hey, everyone, thank you for coming to watch our movie. I, I don't know if you saw that, but it, here in Canada. like Yeah, was- yeah, we got that too. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I got that, yeah. Yeah, Tom Cruise did that with Mission Impossible, and I've been kind of liking that because they know the state of the industry right now. So instead mm-hmm. of demonizing what Hollywood's been doing, all the fans have been like, thank you for coming in. Thank you for supporting. Yeah, yeah. We even yeah. got that for uh, for Ninja Turtles from Seth Rogen, which is pretty cool. Okay, okay. Yeah. There we go. I didn't know that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I've been liking that new trend. Um, Yeah, it's it wasn't that, it wasn't that tip. It won't be rememberable in a sense that because it's not like that typical movie where it feels like one. It kind of felt like it was it was very raw, like somebody took a camera right in that time and just filmed kind of like Once Upon a Time uh, in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But this is actually real. This is what actually happened. Um, yeah, the uh, I guess that's it. At the runtime, I'm the opposite of you, Max. I thought uh, the beginning could have been tightened up a little bit. Okay. Because I thought, for me, once things got going, it sucked me right in. I, I then when the core came, um, I was throughout the movie. I'm like, like somebody come out clean, because you can see yeah. like, 
like you know what's happening and, and you can see like they do love each other like he didn't marry her because his uncle said go marry he actually did love her mm. but then it's like yeah so you were just waiting for him to come clean I, and I, I was sucked in right until the end if anything like Oppenheimer which was 30 minutes shorter felt like a drag <laughs> at mm. a, a lot of points and to me, this no. I think he. I I thought he utilized the the runtime quite efficiently. If anything, to me, what could it? He could have focused on a little bit more was his Leo's. What's his name? Ernest. Yeah, Ernest's relationship with his children. Sure, I thought sure. they were just an afterthought throughout the film. Because then his kid dies and he's all sad. I'm like, are you actually sad or like? Mm. I was kind of getting. Because we didn't, we saw you have an interaction with your kid like maybe once, twice, and I second. agree on that absolutely, <laughs> man. Yeah, because he, you're right; he's only an afterthought. At least it feels like from a visual standpoint of us, he's not even in the background for a lot of the scenes at home. You know? Yeah. So then his kid dies, and like, yeah, like you don't know if he was implied, like that maybe he was murdered by, like, the I guess from the Americans, or if, if it was natural causes. And if, do you care? Do you not care? Because you're poisoning your wife. You're doing all these things, like all these things to her family, but then you care about your kid. <clears throat> like, yeah, maybe you <laughs> give us some more time with your kid. And then when his kid dies, so now we feel that his kid, like, oh no, his kid's gone. Now, like, oh damn. <laughs> yeah. I guess we gotta be sad now. Leo's crying, so I guess we gotta cry now. <laughs> That's true too. That's I a good got- way of putting it, man. I I got that when he announced that he was pregnant. Were not they they announced that they were pregnant because Lee who was upset Robert was upset that Leo I I that's the when I read that table scene my impression was Robert got upset that Leo made them pregnant because now it's gonna now the head rights or whatever are gonna go to that kid if anything were to happen to Leo and if he goes in jail the head rights will automatically go to Leo where if Leo goes in jail the King can still get them somehow. And Leo had that look of like confusion, like, why aren't you congratulating me, uncle? He, cause I think if I remember the scene correctly, King told him to be like, hey, let's go talk after this or something like that. So yeah. I think then that scene, and then when Leo found out that his son died, I think it was like, that's why he thought King might have done it um, hmm. instead. Cause that's when he's like, oh, King's actually gonna beat me in trial. He's actually gonna get my head rights because now my kid's dead. So now this is where I actually have to, you know, stand up and grow a pair. Let's go ahead and talk ratings real quick. Um, Danilo, I know obviously Scorsese's, you know, your, your big favorite director of all time. Um, so I obviously got a soft spot for him, but I want you to be critical of this one, man. What is your rating for killers of the flower moon? Yeah, man, it's the best thing going on. It's way to Coruscant. Okay. I got to see another rewatch. I'm pretty sure that he'll Coruscant then. Um, giving it a best one on its way to Coruscant, still, still showing some softness to it, um, or else it would just be a best spin. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. And the more time I thought about it, the more time I was thinking, okay, what do we like about this? It's not a mob film, you know, next time I'm not going to go into it with that expectation or whatever. Um, so yeah, like I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Like I said, I love the ending. Um, so yeah, really, really cool. Nice man, nice. And Sarandis, what about you? What are your what's your rating on this piece? And also, because you have seen After Hours and you've seen some of his shorter work, do you prefer Marty's shorter movies or his longer films, like Killers of Fire Moon and The Irishman? 
Uh, um, if we're going to compare it to After Hours, uh, I prefer the longer versions. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like the raw acting. I know that like, the Irishman, yeah, you felt the runtime on it. It was really long, but I just love seeing great actors just acting in the scene. Mm. That's what I really like. I would prefer to watch that over the After Hours, to be honest. <laughs> I feel like but um, to to rate it though, uh, I I, I keep forgetting the rating system. <laughs> but That's all good. Give, give me your own rating system, man. <laughs> uh, a, a four. I give it a four out of five. It's uh, not like it's not, it's not a movie I recommend to everybody. It, it's it's very raw. It's heavy. Um, but we need movies like this. I I as I, I do appreciate fiction. I like I love sci-fi's. I like just like getting my mind out of real world and just sucking sucked into like a, a new kind of world. But we do need these real stories to be told. It is history. And you should never forget history because that's how you learn. Mm-hmm. And it, I love how a director like Scorsese is still making movies today. Otherwise we wouldn't be getting movies like this, especially a true story like this being filmed by a master director. And this is what we need. Could have so, said it better, man. Support these movies, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely, bro. Absolutely. For me, this is a best spin. Um, like I said, at runtime, I just feel a bit. Maybe I need this needs a rewatch. Maybe I'll feel what you're feeling, Sarandos, about that beginning portion needing to be tighter compared to the ending. Um, that's definitely a nice way of looking at it. Because you're right, looking back, there are some things maybe um, I speed up or cut a bit. I'm not sure. You know, I'm not Scorsese. It's not my story to tell. Obviously. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. This one, it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't like his top movie for me. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it, it wasn't like a knock out of the park. It was just damn great. It was, it was good. It was a solid ass movie. Um, and I can't wait to see what he has to come up next. What's up a sleeve, you know? So hopefully he tops this next one. Cause I really hated the Irishman and this definitely beat that out for me. But yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon. It's going to go ahead and wrap it up for this part. Um, our listeners, we're going to go take another break before we go ahead and talk after hours. Because, Danilo, you're getting ready to dip out for us this week. Is that correct, sir? That is indeed, man. Got to go to class. One of like I know, dude. I, I'm kind of upset about it, too. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> but, yes, got to go to class. Um, it has been fun to be back on. I've missed it. Missed the excitement. Missed the joy that happens when you see the little green the green bubble around your box when you speak and everything, all that fun stuff. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you guys been holding down the fort. Always been proud. You know, I'm I'm still on the social medias, guys. Hit me, hit me when I hit me with the at at Galaxy of Film. You know, <laughs> hit me with that at Galaxy of Film. And you'll be back um, in a couple yeah. weeks, actually, too, for Hunger Games. Yeah, dude, I will be because I'm pumped for that one. Um, but yeah, man, it's always been fun chatting up here with Galaxy of Film. Always, I have been my best memories here with you, with you, Max, and the company, obviously as well. But you know, like I've always said, when I leave. Go to your chilies, get the three for me. But if you're on a bit of a budget, go for your hot and ready. That's exactly right, buddy. That's exactly right. And for our listeners, we'll be right back after this next break. Alright guys, and we're back from our second break this episode. It's been a trend the last couple weeks, having two breaks. Kind of weird doing that again. But only the best of your galaxy of film. 
Uh, we're here now to talk After Hours, which is another Scorsese film. Uh, Serenus, when was the first time you watched this one? It was about a year ago, actually. <laughs> okay, okay. For me, it was yesterday. So, <laughs> yeah, here we are. Um, this is one of his shorter films, too, like an hour and like 30, I believe, or like right at a little over an hour and 30. Um, and also no De Niro, which is a bit funky. I don't know how many of his films about De Niro I've seen, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I've always been the Tarantino guy, and Daniel's been the Scorsese guy, so I haven't dove in through all of his filmography yet. Um, yeah, no De Niro, but we do have Cheech from Cheech and Chong, so here we go. <laughs> but after hours, we got a man, Paul, who works as a word processor, living his average Joe life. Um, he decides to go out one night after meeting a girl at a coffee shop who he was intrigued by. And after calling her up, she kind of is like, yo, come through for a booty call. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to take you up on that. It's been a minute since I've had some. And he pulls up and it, things kind of go ahead and go completely wrong during this film in every instance. Um, so she's an artist or no, she lives with an artist and she's late for her booty call. She gets, or he gets there, excuse me, she gets there, I can't even talk, damn. She gets there, and she's not over her husband, who they just split up, and he told her to kind of fuck off. Um, so he ends up going down to a bar because he gets fed up with it, um, and then he, or excuse me, ends up losing his money on the way from the taxi to get to the spot, so he's kind of stranded there, he has no money to get back, goes to the bar, um, ends up having to switch keys of this guy to go to his house to grab something for him. Um, on his way to the guy's house, the neighbors thinks he's robbing the place, so they give him some trouble. He ends up going back and forth to the bar. Um, he comes across this woman who's working at the bar who's also intrigued with him. And then he goes back to the original booty girl's house, and she ends up ODing on sleeping pills. Um, so he kind of freaks out, leaves up signage around the house, saying there's a dead person in there for EMS to come through. Um, and then he ends up leaving, goes back to the bar, bar's closed, the guy's left with his keys, so he has to wait. The girl who was at the bar that he met earlier, who's working there, she quits her, her job. She invites him upstairs to her place across the street, and he's like, you know what? I didn't get any from the girl because she's dead, so I'm going to come through and get some from you. Um, he gets kind of freaked out, goes back to the bar to get his keys. Dudes end up flipping out. Um, he ends up leaving. Ends up finding, like, the artist who was the roommate of the girl that OD'd is at this other club that he can't get into. He goes back to the bar again. Um, and at that point, it's revealed that the bartender is the husband of the woman who killed herself. Um, so he's distraught, doesn't want to be there. Ends up closing the bar up again. The keys are stuck there. Um, and then Paul ends up going back to the girl's house across the street. She lets him in and then ends up turning on him and like flips out on his ass. And she's also just kind of crazy of all these rat traps around the bed. Um, Paul ends up going back to the club that he couldn't get into and gets in this time and meets a different girl who's also an artist. Um, and he has like the whole town kind of after him. Um, and so she kind of like protects him and like covers him in paper mache, which is a kind of a bit that the other artist does earlier in this film. She's working on a paper mache sculpture that these two guys buy off of her, but these are the robbers that buy the sculpture off of her. Um, and then Paul actually scared the robbers and they left the statue there. So the statue's gone. Um, and in order to hide Paul from the guy, from basically the whole town mobbing up on him, Frankenstein style, um, she puts paper mache on him to like camouflage him in her apartment. And then the robbers who had purchased the statue originally break into this house 
end up stealing this statue to replace the one that they lost earlier in the film. Um, and during all this is how Paul gets back all the way up to the upper side of Manhattan. Um, and they ended up like wrecking or like, excuse me, like the door flings open in the van because they take a turn too sharp and the sculpture flies out the back of the van, breaking and destroying the sculpture with Paul inside of it. It turns out it's right outside of his work. And he just kind of goes back to work starting his next day um, after a really, really long night during the after hours, you know. And it's the story of a failed booty call, and it is a very, very complex one. But it's a damn good one, in my opinion. Um, yeah, man. Serenus, what were your immediate thoughts after watching After Hours? Oh, I was like, what the? What? I remember, like, what the hell did I just watch? <laughs> <laughs> I I don't hate it, but I didn't love it. Really? Uh, okay. Uh, it's it was not like one of those ep like Scorsese epics. <laughs> I don't I don't know what to make of it. It's just like a bunch of things happening. Um, if anything, I think this movie should be called Red Flags. <laughs> Red Flags, <laughs> not After Hours. Sure, uh, sure. I, I was able to relate in just a bit because I, I did have a similar situation before, mm. uh, but I was able to catch on to the red flags. You know, one, two, three is enough. <laughs> but he just kept going, going on, and just didn't stop. I'm like, bro, <laughs> and I get it. You want some, but go home. <laughs> yeah, there's a um, there's a quote from How I Met Your Mother, dude, that this movie reminds me of the whole time. I never ever watched that show, but it's my favorite sitcom of all time. Um, and Ted Mosby just says that, you know what? After 2 a.m., you go home because nothing good happens after 2 a.m. <laughs> and that is the entire epitome of this movie, of it being after hours. That this just goes completely off the rails for this man, for this failed attempt of getting laid. Um, yeah, what were, some, what were some key moments, just standout memories you have with this film, bro? Key moments, okay. Like, I'm trying to re remember. Like, there was like a mosh pit that he went into. <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> and then I remember all of a sudden the mosh pit was just over, and then it became something else. I think that was near the end of the movie because he got some random invitation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the Club Berlin. Yeah, that was to it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, and uh, the couple of women. I was. Why were all these women so intrigued with him? Did he just? You just can't help it, man. They can't resist the Paul. <laughs> I, I, I'm just. He keeps meeting all these different women. They're all so intrigued with him, and they're all. I, and I, was, I don't know, man. I was just trying to find like what was the the meaning of this movie? Because uh, I'm like, it is a Scorsese movie. Did he? Did did he? Why did he make this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I think Marty probably had just a, a, a rough time getting laid one night and wanted to make a movie about it, honestly. Or maybe it was like a collection of like a month of what just went wrong with him, you know, and this was the culmination of that. Like everything brought together, all of his horror stories of hookups. <laughs> yeah, like, that's what it is. Yeah, it was a failed booty call, but uh, I guess I could, I could say that maybe the, uh, it was like, the dangers of youth, you know, the the the, the young male, the sex drive, mm. you know, we, we are dogs, you know, just wants to get laid, but then also like not knowing that there was like the inner city, the <laughs> that part of the town that mm. you're 
lot of people that are oblivious to like they live kind of differently there so uh um if i remember i think there was supposed to be a different ending to this movie okay. which is more uh i think he was supposed to die uh he when he was when they put the paper mache was called over yeah. his body uh they just drive off with him and the movie ends implying that he probably died in oh. it <laughs> Yeah, and so I don't know what what made uh, who or what made him change it so he actually just goes back to work. I'm kind of happy with the ending that we got. Kind of oh, gave it like I a love more... it. Not just because yeah. it is it like a full circle, but like also the the, the credits is gorgeous. So it kind of bounces around the office space. So the camera doesn't stop the whole time. It's incredible. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I really enjoyed this actually. Like, I had a lot of fun with After Hours. A lot more than I thought of. Um, I'm being very upfront with you. This is my favorite Scorsese movies. Actually, really? this was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, I'm a huge, huge lover of New York, um, and this movie feels like a like a time machine almost. That dirty, grimy, gringy, like New York that we all hear about that like just isn't a thing anymore. Um, so to see this story of like a wild failed hookup taking place in shitty downtown Manhattan is awesome. Um, I love this. <laughs> um, That's the thing. Yeah, I thought the beginning, beginning of the movie uh, was very slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the performance with him and, and the girl, the, uh, the chemistry wasn't there. Maybe that was done on purpose, but I didn't feel like the the, the performances were all that great. I was kind of, I remember kind of like not really hooked in. But once things started going on, um, like it would start becoming more engaging. I was with yeah. the movie. Um, but I did like like the feel, which is which is really hard to do for a director. Is like I felt like the night just didn't end, and, yes. and that was on purpose. Like it just wouldn't end. It was always dark, and it was like <laughs> mm-hmm. so that that that's what I liked because that was the whole point. It almost me. I know we were in like like somewhere in Manhattan. I think it was called Soho, right? Yeah, yeah it's in Soho. Um. But it, I, I did get a little bit of seven vibes of like it just it, it felt like dystopian, like a whole new different uh, yeah place in the world. Mm. And like he just went from like normal boring life into this like where am I? <laughs> I don't understand so that. Different here, yeah. And then also it kind of helps encapsulate the uh, the like you said like the night just does the end. The cinematography is, is incredible in this and really helps bring the city to life um, despite it being such a dead-end area, you know, because there yeah. are a lot of people walking around in this. So it's important to have those moments to make the city feel like a person to help it feel like the night doesn't end, if that makes sense. Um, there's some gorgeous shots on, like, either a dolly or a rail system where it's, like, the where it kind of pans across him, like, walking across the street where it follows him, where, like, it bends around the corner um, seeing like the light bounce off of some of the different buildings kind of helps with that too. Um, this thing is gorgeously shot throughout the entire film. And I love that about this. Um, it, it, this movie feels like it's like a, like a weird pocket of New York, like the Island of Misfit Toys. Like these are all a bunch of random, like weird reject people that are calling onto this guy that all have their weird quirks. And they're highlighted in such a unique way to where it, of course, does feel comical. It's a comedy piece, of course. Um, but they don't feel like slapstick satire comedy. You know, it doesn't feel like anyone is trying to 
to have their their like their their bullshit moment if that makes sense like everything feels genuine like the dudes the coincidence of the bartender's wife being the woman that killed himself or herself and like that's why he's closing down his shop like that's that's believable you know it's understandable and justifiable he closed down shop because he thought that the guy was robbing his house originally after just missing his keys for an hour or so you know like everything has an actual reason compared to just well he just dipped the doors just closed you know um, I love that it's, there's no plot holes with this, if that makes sense. Like everything makes sense and keeps going to the night won't end because we don't know whenever these people are returning back or coming back from their situations coming from like being stuck at the, the, the club Berlin, with the girl being there and having the invitation. He tries to get in the first time. He has no clue how long that girl's going to be there. So he's kind of waiting it out at first. And then he's just like, well, I got other shit I got to do. I got these other things to take care of. Hopefully we can get back to this, you know? And I love that this movie's constantly always moving with its runtime. Like, not a second of this feels wasted, in my opinion. Um, was there anything about this that you didn't like in particular? Because I think you said you didn't love this movie. Yeah. Um, why didn't you just walk home? <laughs> It's like 90 yeah. blocks, man. That's that's like yeah. all of Manhattan, though. Yeah. Just walk home. Bro, the, Manhattan is like 13 and a half miles long. <laughs> Things are already going to shit. Walk home. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> oh, no. I have no money to take the, uh, to take the, the train. Walk. You have no money to take the cab. You have no money to take the train. Well, your only other option now is to walk. To walk. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true, I suppose, man. But hey, he had to get some, bro. He had to you get know, back quickly if he needed to. Yeah, but yeah, it wouldn't be a movie if he just walked home. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I think near the ending, it's kind of I felt kind of ridiculous. Uh, putting the paper mache over him. Yeah, just it works. Uh, and then, then the two dudes lifting up this thing, like, oh man, this is kind of heavy. They never asked, like, you know, they could have just asked each other, why is this one really heavy? The other one was kind of light. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> no, there's, you know, blatant holes in the face. <laughs> That's true too. Yeah. <laughs> you not go, you know, guys, pull. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, no, no, not once. Goodness, man! What would you what would you rate after hours, Sarandis? Um, two and a half. <laughs> really? Damn! Yeah. This this is a core song for me. I love this. This is probably like like I said my favorite Scorsese movie. This or uh, or Shark Tales. <laughs> I do love like uh, I I don't know how you can make a movie like this nowadays. There's something about that that raw film footage. Mm-hmm. That also helps with the look. Like with a digital camera, can you still get that same feel with it? Because I think it will, it looks it it adds to the aesthetic of the city. Yeah, it does. Something about those cameras, like just in, in those cameras, what they do to movies in general. Uh, what um, when you make movies like that, uh, seven look the same. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Like, can you? Ah, can you make a movie like that nowadays? Give that same look. You, you mean you'd have to bust out a thirty-five? You know. 
That's the only way I can see it. That really helps with the colors as well, like I was talking about, too. Like, there's this one shot. I think it's when he's going up to Club Berlin, if I'm not mistaken. That or it's the diner. But there's this, like, bright pink or purple, like, neon sign. It just happened how the, the camera in the film encapsulates that glow of the neon. It's something I fall in love with. Like, I'm such a sucker for, for like, neo-noir stuff going on. Um, and it's cool to see little, like, tidbits of that in this film, you know? Love the lighting in this. Goodness. But, yeah, man, that's that's After Hours. Not much yeah. to it, but it's... I loved it. <laughs> I loved it absolutely hell. Yeah, it was fun. Gotcha. And, Serenus, before we go ahead and wrap up, I got one more question for you real quick. Oh, yeah. Which of these better films is the... <laughs> excuse me. Which of these films is the better first date watch? Oh, that After Hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One hundred percent, man. Even though, if you, probably, if you show this to a certain girl at night, you're you're just you're not getting fucked. You know the movies you're getting fucked if you show. Oh yeah, neither of them, I guess. So, Killers of the Flower Moon isn't exactly uh, an in the mood movie. <laughs> oh, think about it. That was a heavy movie, man. Her whole family just died, man. Poor First Nations people. Do you want to want to go to bed? <laughs> <laughs> Only the best Jerry Galaxy of film, man. <laughs> well, bro, I think it's going to go ahead and wrap it up for this week. It was great talking some Scorsese with you. Um, of course, it's great getting Pablo back on the show for this week, too. Um, Sarandis, where can our listeners find you if they don't follow you already from when you were on here talking John Boyega with us? You can follow me on Instagram. I don't post anything on there, but it's at Sarandis <laughs> Sauter, so S-A-R-A-N-D-I-S-S-O-T-I-R. Or you can just follow me on YouTube. I, I make reviews on movies and TV shows. It's called it's Comical. My Ahsoka, my giant Ahsoka review uh, review should be coming out soon. Very nice, man. Very nice. And also, guys, check out our episode a few weeks ago. He was on here talking Attack the Block and They Clone Tyrone. Always a good time talking some Boega as well. Um, that's going to go and wrap it up for this week, guys. Next week, we are discussing some Jack Black on the podcast with Nacho Libre in The Pick of Destiny. I know, only some classics here on the podcast. But, like I said, everyone, stay tuned for No Vex on November 6th, and also link down below to the GoFundMe to support my next film, Goonies and Agony. Um, if you guys aren't able to donate, even sharing helps out so much. I promise you guys it does. And feel free to tag Galaxy of Film if you share as well. But, everyone, go ahead and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and threads, all at Galaxy of Film. Join the Galaxy Film Fan Club on Facebook, ran by Director of Fan Relations, Shameen. And stay tuned for next week, guys. But also, please enjoy the show. Or, Jesus, I can't even talk today, bro. It just keeps fucking up, you know? Only the best. <laughs> but if you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us an iTunes and Spotify review. It truly does help the show much more than you can imagine. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys. Bye, talk.